0: Oh, hello, and welcome to this show. You're listening to the We podcast where we speak, we grow, we rise. I'm your host, Sarah Maneras. I'm passionate about creating community and providing a space for speaking authentic truth, growing together, and rising above the challenges and into the full power of all we were created to be. This week on the We podcast, I chat with Genevieve Rose. Jenna, is a wife to a motorhead husband of 15 plus years, a mother to their teenage daughter who aspires to be the first person to walk on Mars, and their preteen son who's currently happy with a life filled with pizza. (laughs) Jenna is the founder of the Facebook community, the Academy of Adventuring Apprentices. She believes that all women deserve someone to show up and share their skills So that women are able to create their own freedoms. She's a proud influencer of two startup companies featured on Shark Tank and in the New York Times. She's also an advocate for mental health and she shares her perspective as a daughter and as a survivor. On this episode, we really dive into her experiences of growing up with a mother who suffered from chronic mental illness and her own struggles with mental health and wanting to take her own life. Hers is an inspirational story of growing through the challenges and learning what she needed to prosper in life rather than just survive. I love that Jenna frames the difficult times in life as an adventure. She believes we all want someone to listen and to have someone see what we feel the rest of the world refuses to see and to gift each other the freedom of choice. I know that you're going to absolutely love this interview so let's get started. Here is my interview with Jenna. Welcome, welcome. I'm excited to have Jenna here today with me. Genevieve, Jenna, which one do you prefer? I prefer Jenna. Genevieve is just the name my
1: mama gave me. So
0: (laughs) Maybe I should use it once in a while. (laughs) But (laughs) Jenna is what I've
1: just always been called. I don't really ever remember anyone but my mother calling me Genevieve. but I think it's a beautiful name now that I'm old enough to know how to spell it. <laughs> yes.
0: My it letters beautiful, beautiful for, for a little kid. So. That is true. It's true. It is beautiful. So Jenna, I've been calling you Jenna. Um I think since I met you a few weeks ago, so yeah. I just wanted to make sure cuz I see your name on here says Genevieve. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I usually like to just start out with kind of how we met and we haven't known each other super long, but I no. feel like our first meeting was pretty amazing.
1: Totally. Uh, <laughs> totally. yeah, I think that it's so cool when you meet some, someone unexpectedly that you just instantly feel a connection. And then as you get to know each other better, you realize, wow, that's where the connection is like the surprise connection. And I feel like that's definitely what I experienced when, when I met you. A couple yeah. Weeks ago
0: at the uh-huh. retreat, so yeah. Thank you. Me too. So yes. Yeah, so I was speaking at a retreat in St. Louis and you were there and we got to spend days together. Yeah. 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 It was great. Right before
1: mother's day, it was like the perfect, I mean, it definitely had its moments of deep diving, Um, discovery, which I love learning about myself and others. I feel like there's so much that you can take away from that type of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was so good. It was such the perfect like break before Mother's Day and then just kind of diving back into to work and life and family Mm -hmm. and all of that. So
0: yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, I am so happy that I got to meet you. And so I got to know you well during those few days. And I know that you have a very touching, amazing story of, of strength and overcoming and, you know, hard, hard things that you faced, but things that have made you who you are and, and it led you to what you're doing today. And so I'm not going to, Tell your story, obviously, but <laughs> the, the other day, you know, what really prompted me to ask you to be here today is uh, your Facebook post that you made the other day, yeah. which touched my heart and was so freaking amazing.
1: I was and, blown
0: away. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: completely on a whim, a glass of wine and reflecting on the week. And yeah, <laughs> the next morning I woke up and was just, I couldn't believe how many people like were touched by it or felt connected to it because it's been something that I've been somewhat conditioned not to talk about my whole life. So yeah, it' pretty, pretty amazing. And then you messaged me and I was like, um, yeah. Sure.
0: (laughs) That's exactly what I messaged you. Yeah, no, you're like, uh, I guess so. (laughs) But I, I just really truly believe in, man, when we're putting our story and we're putting our message out into the world, that opportunities open and for us to continue to share that message, because I feel like, your post was so authentic and so truly you. Not not filtered, you know what I mean? And I think we crave that in our lives. And that's really the the purpose of this entire podcast is we don't get it enough, I think. Oh, um, yeah. so I just really appreciate that and I'm proud of you for being here and yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's it's
1: as soon as you, you know, ask me the initial like fear of of sharing that, and even though it was a post that I don't know like two hundred people commented on, which was for me in my my small little farm life world, that's a lot of people to comment on something like that. It definitely has always been something I felt inside me, the perspective from my perspective, that point of view of a child um, it, witnessing mental health and that system, I don't feel like I ever have, have seen very publicly it be, being told. So I know in my heart, that's always been something I felt I was supposed to do. But then when that opportunity was presented to me to do that, I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> that's a little scary. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's just really vulnerable. And like I said, something I, from the very little. I was conditioned, you know. Don't don't talk about this to people because mm. we don't want people to know. And also, yeah. in just honoring how my family handled the whole situation as well. You know,
0: mm. not
1: having the tools or skills to really know how to handle it.
0: Totally. Yes. Yeah. And I think your your post, and we'll we'll get into the details of it. Was really I, inspired by the the suicides that have recently happened yes. um, yeah. and the fact that people are starting to speak out, hopefully more so about mental health. And you're right. I mean, I think there's such a stigma surrounding it. There's such uh-huh. a fear of talking about it. And I think that you know, what you're saying, you were, you were so scared. You were told not to talk about it. I think that's so common and people just stay in that place. And then Mm -hmm. these amazing things that they have don't ever get shared. And so I think think it's so cool to see you step out, even though you were freaking scared, (laughs) (laughs) but then to see the response to it too, and how many people you touched just in that one Facebook post, like imagine. Yeah. Well, that's the- like
1: I couldn't believe it. Like I woke up the next morning and, you know, had my cup of coffee and was there going and, and I had all these comments and I was like, Oh my, my goodness. And then also the fear, like, as I see people that know my mother commenting, um, you know, cause they knew her in a different light than I ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so just, really wanting to make sure that I was honoring my mom and who she was, but also honoring who, who she, I personally feel was somewhat created to be. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a very revealing, a lot of emotion experience from typing it out and also seeing just the perspectives from others sharing about just seeing the suicides right in a row of mm-hmm. celebrity suicides and kind of the assumptions or perspectives that are, are put in place there because maybe their life should be better because mm-hmm. they are celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, realizing that there's a lot more fear there behind mental health. Mm-hmm. We don't do fundraisers for, you know, parents or kids with mental health.
0: hmm Yeah, we don't,
1: we don't see those things. Um, and there's, there's definitely this perception that
0: we just aren't going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure our listeners are dying to hear your story. (laughs) We're talking about, I hope not, but Uh, well, yeah, yeah. They're probably like, "All right, come on, we want to hear it."
1: Back <laughs> to, to the juicy stuff, as you
0: usually say. I want all the
1: juicy stuff, right?
0: <laughs> it's yeah, true. So, do you want to just kind of... Well, I you start wherever you feel you're led in your heart to to start. Sure,
1: sure. I, I mean, I think what prompted me is that I am a survivor of attempted suicide. Uh, in sharing that post uh, about, I guess it's going on three, four years ago, I was in a very difficult place. I had struggled um, with anxiety, um, childhood post-traumatic stress from the time I was, as, I mean, really like five years old. My earliest memories are having like night terrors uh, and uh, that stemmed from my mother being um, diagnosed with manic depression and schizophrenia um, from the time I was two years old. And so seeing those posts last week just really kind of stemmed me to think back to, gosh, where where I've come from since that attempt uh, and what really triggered me to not follow through with what um, I had planned. And, you know, then kind of thinking about my mother, who has been in and out of mental health institutions my entire life, mm-hmm. uh, and that experience that I've I've journeyed with her on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So so yeah, from a very young age, at two years old, I was pulled away from my mom uh, in a hospital waiting room. I can remember it as clearly as sitting here talking to you Mm -hmm. um, and just feeling her not having a choice. Um, I think that's why I have such this, and I didn't know that all my life, but I've always had this driven passion of um, having someone willing to listen, having someone willing to let you see that you have a choice in a situation. Uh, and she had no choice. They just pulled me from her. Uh, and that's what I had the night terror of from the time I was five years old. I would wake up in the middle of the night, you know, trying to cling for her. And then as an adult, as a young adult, anytime I would be overwhelmed or stressed. I, was, I would have this reoccurring night terror, and I, I just thought, well, the, that was a really difficult time, you know, mm-hmm. not realizing that it was a form of trauma mm-hmm. um, until I was was in my 30s, and all of life, postpartum depression, not being aware of that that was happening or, or having the resources to support me uh, in that, and my per- perception of mental health was I'm not going to go down that path, I'm not going to talk to somebody about this, I've seen too much when my mom talked, what Mm -hmm. happened to her, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so um, the perception that I'm not going to, I don't need that type of help, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that that there was a lot of fear of things I saw growing up with her. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, you saw really a different era of mental health intervention and treatment and Completely. a terrible era where people were really mistreated. And, yes. um, I mean, and I neglected. think it neglected. And I think back then they were even doing like terrible things like the shock treatments yes. and yeah. all of those. My mother had,
1: had gone through in the eighties. So she was in two date, uh, mental institutions Growing up, the the first one she was in, I think it was close to seven years that she was in that institution from the time I was three or four years old until I was almost 13. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my my grandmother, her mother, who, you know, now that I'm a mother, I can understand the perspective from a mom's point of view. Like, um, it was very difficult, I'm sure, for my grandmother to see my mom. Uh, in those situations and wanting to see me, you know, so my grandmother would take me to visit her and I would just experience things that no little kid should, should see, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when I started struggling myself, those were the visuals put in in my head of just what she had to endure and Mm -hmm. what she had to go through. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. So, not wanting to be like, or was there like a fear? If I ask for help, I'm going to be put into a place like my mom or? Definitely.
1: Um, I think that, you know, definitely there was fears about how I would be treated, but there was also this very deep inside drive that I would not be like her. There Mm -hmm. was, I've I've definitely gone past this, but there was definitely this resentment of who she was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I felt abandoned for sure. You know, I didn't understand why this illness or this thing that they said she had would keep her from me. You know, mm-hmm. why she couldn't make the choice.
0: You know, as an adult, mm-hmm. I know
1: a lot more about, yeah. Situation. But as a but, young child, as as a girl who just wanted a mother. That was that was difficult. So those those thoughts were definitely a part of my adolescence, um, a mm-hmm. part of uh, me becoming a mother myself. And then as I started to really struggle with the post traumatic stress from childhood and not understanding what triggered it or, you know, what environments I was putting myself in uh, that was making me feel this anxiety or lack of being enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you sent something. I want to go back to you real quick. Sure. With not understanding that she couldn't make a choice, and I did a live on my Facebook a couple of days ago where I was a bit fired up. <laughs> <laughs> no. this fires me up. It does. It fires yeah. me up because I I believe that we live in a culture that's sick. Like I believe that our society in general perpetuates these issues and 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 we need to fix our entire cultural mentality um in order to actually make change and and so you said not understanding that she couldn't make a choice and I think that that's something that our culture even today says well you can just positive think your way through it or yeah yeah and yeah
1: I think that there was a lot of, like, as I turned 18, I took over a lot of care for my mother. I was almost expected. I was raised by my, my dad's parents. So when I turned four, my, my mom's grandmother, um, she worked, was below the poverty level, uh, and she just couldn't care for me. So my dad's parents took me in from the time I was four until I was 18. My mom's mother died when I was 18. In the middle of my mom having another nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. um, and so all of that care was was handed to me. So it was the first time that I, I then witnessed the back end of that uh, experience. Not just being a part of it uh, as far as being her daughter, but now being the person that's being told she needs to care for for her, mm-hmm. and so. You know, I can definitely say there were moments in my head sitting in a hospital room with a therapist and them having my mother rehash her entire life history, but she had been in this hospital five or six times. They had no records, no documents, Mm -hmm. uh, and witnessing my mother, who is desperately needing help, almost being a guinea pig of science, I felt. It was Mm -hmm. almost like we're not quite sure how to help her, so we're going to have her rehash this, and then we're going to pinpoint someplace that stands out instead of looking at, like, what has she been given in the past and what has been done for her in the past to help her move forward through this this piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it, it definitely you know, there were, there were definite moments in my life where I've been like, gosh, couldn't she just choose to not be like this? But I think the more, maybe there was a moment where if someone would have listened, I -hmm. feel like she could have maybe had the care that I feel I've received. And like you said, it's a whole different time period, but that wasn't the case. Mm -hmm. It was, let's, let's cover this, move on. Okay. This comes up. Let's cover this. Yes. Um, and I felt like there was a lot of covering for my mother and it's why still today she struggles. Yeah. I,
0: yeah. And I think we're getting better at not covering totally. than back then, but we yeah. still have a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think when I think about my situation, the, I feel like the only, I was an advocate for myself. I knew enough about the system to be like, no, wait a second. I have a choice in this piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. um, to know enough about who do I ask for help? Where do I go for that help? When they're asking me to go on medication without any type of conversation, wait a second, that didn't work for my mom. <laughs> you know, that right. didn't work. Uh, And so do I want to go down that path?
0: So, yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah, because we've got the medical model, too. And now we have more choices of models, I think, also. There's more holistic models. There's more, you know, people realizing we've got to get to the root of the issue rather than just masking it with medication or positivity even. Or, you know, all of these things we've learned to mask things with. We've got to actually deal with it.
1: Totally. Totally. And, you know, for me, when the the phone was handed to me, you know, literally I came home, I wasn't expecting anyone to be here in my home the day that I had decided to take my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was someone home. And, you know, when I shared what I was going through, you know, our, our tendency, I feel all of us is to fix something that we don't understand or to find the, find the silver bullet that's going to just change it. And I'm so thankful that the person that I shared it with said, I don't know how to fix this for you, but I know that there is a way that someone can, you Mm. need to call somebody and ask for help. And I feel like that gave me such power. When I look back at that, moment, I feel like that was the choice um, that my mom wasn't given. Hmm. The phone, someone was called and took her and immediately took her and put her away, took everything she knew that she cared about where in that moment, someone handed me the power to make the choice. And I don't know why I made the choice I made other than that I did feel empowered to make a choice because I felt Nothing else was in my control, mm-hmm. uh, and so I made made a phone call to a family member. She gave me hand over the keys type of speech. You don't have control. You need you need to contact somebody and get some help. And you know the steps. You'll figure them out. Let me know where how I can help you figure it out. But only you can fix this. Mm. You know, and so. I really felt like then I was empowered to make the phone calls that I needed to make to be decisive about what I wanted put into my body or done to my body, you know, uh, where I had witnessed so often with my mom. And I think that was the fear for me was I had witnessed so often with my mother that she didn't have a choice in any of that. They would say, okay, we're going to try this pill. Hmm. She would go on it for a week or two, three weeks. We'd be back uncontrollable, ups or downs, whatever it might be, and then we'll try another, and we'll try another,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to the point where she didn't really know how to make a choice, and today has very little understanding about my reality or her reality, you know, that it's very difficult to even have her be a part of our life, because she's been so detached from from both realities, her, her own and and our
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. So I can't even imagine being 18 years old and being told you are now the one (laughs) in charge of this. You know, it's funny as a kid, I always was like, I really want a sibling.
1: Like I wanted a sister so bad. I remember as a little kid, like just wanting a sister so bad. And then when I became an adult and, like, that was handed over to me, I can remember just saying, like, thank you, God, for not giving me a sibling because I couldn't imagine another person having to go through
0: this. Mm.
1: Um, You know, like, I remember my mother, I was called at work. It was, like, my first real job after college. uh, And they said that the police were called. um, Your mom won't go with them. We need you to come. There's no one else we but you don't know who else to call, so I come to her trailer. She lived in this little trailer, and that's the other thing—like just the the concept of of out in the world when they're when she wasn't stable. Just really seeing how she lived was so difficult at eighteen, and not having any power to do anything about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But coming to her house and she, just anger, and my mom is not an angry person ever really unless something is wrong with medication and you know later I find out that her medication was switched the state switched doctors or you know um, management officers and so she had to end up going someplace different and they changed the medication and she was just like abusive and them you know she didn't even know who I was Yeah, it was just very hard at 18 to like then go into the hospital room and hear her cry for help and not not know how to get help, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and just being left in the hospital bed for hours crying Mm -hmm. before someone came down from the floor, you know, psychiatric floor to, you know, have her get signed in and then two weeks later to get a phone call from the hospital saying she signed herself out because she has the choice to do that and she was lost in the city where the hospital was and had to drive all around the city to find her. So yeah it was it was a very eye-opening experience of what my grandmother had gone through for you know basically all of my life Um, and then realizing that wait a second I understand that my grandmother saw it from a mother's perspective, but my mom needs care. So, how am I advocating for this human mm-hmm. who needs proper care?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and that began my journey of just really trying to understand where there were gaps in her in her care.
0: Yeah, yeah. I uh, my first experience as a therapist was working in a psychiatric hospital. In my internship, and I was blown away, and this was 2006, so, what is that, 12 years ago, so I I know things have changed a bit since then, but (laughs) definitely, not that much.
1: Yeah, no, the last time that my mom was in a state institution was, I think, around 2008, and I remember walking on the floor to go and visit her. It was right before she was going to be released. And my mother was the oldest woman on the floor. There was two care providers on the floor for 40 some women. Oh wow! Um, and all I, I started walking the halls. And as I'm looking at the women that are in these other rooms, they're all my age. They're all you know, or younger, like anywhere from maybe 17, 18 to 25. And I said to my mom's social worker, I was like, gosh, everybody's so young. Cause I can remember experiencing when my mom, like younger years, that there was older women. There was, my mom was the oldest woman on the floor, um, in her fifties. And, uh, yeah, it just, she goes, the average breakdown is right now between 17 and, and 30. And it was really the the only facility in, in our area in Pennsylvania that was still taking patients, mm-hmm. but they were left to their devices. Like there wasn't a lot for them to do. That's the mm-hmm. other thing that I think I've realized as I walk the halls of some of these places, you know, the care was not always wonderful in the 60s when a lot of things were defunded. But prior to that, you know, I feel like there was a, a sense of providing those people with some dignity
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: and things to do. And I, I definitely didn't experience that. Even you know during twenty eighteen, I mean twenty two thousand and eight. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't feel like my mom like she wanted to teach an art class. My mom's an artist. She was a potter before I was born. For eight years, she owned her own pottery business. And, um, she wanted to teach art classes and I even volunteered to let me like, I'll buy the clay, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's just something for her to do and to teach. And it just wasn't, wasn't something that they were willing to do. And I feel prior to that, there was a lot more opportunities for them to stay busy and not be thinking about all the things
0: that are going on. Yeah, totally. (sighs) Totally. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. I'm I don't know that I don't know that it's different now. I know when I was there there wasn't a lot to do. Everything was so restricted and I mean for for one reason is safety like you're totally. so limited on what you can have but I remember just being so blown away by the medication piece, where Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, one psychiatrist really loves this medication. We had one psychiatrist when I was there that put everybody, it didn't seem to matter, on um, lithium. Mm -hmm. That was like his drug of choice, and and if... For sure. Yeah, yes, yes. and it's so... Freaking frustrating, especially because yeah. Uh, yeah. So the fact I, I I love what you're saying, and I know you you're an advocate in a lot of ways, and in this realm, just helping people understand you do have a choice. Totally. You, mm-hmm, it's, yeah, I feel
1: like that's what was given to me was the freedom to find the skills to create my own freedom you know, like I I truly feel like um, now that I look back at this entire experience of me being a daughter of a woman who has manic depression and and schizophrenia, I guess manic depression today is called bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, So for those, I I still use the 1980s version of it, because that's just what was diagnosed then. Mm -hmm. Uh, But realizing that uh, the first step and where I always saw my mom do the best was when she had a therapist that would listen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not immediately push her into a psychiatrist's office for meds. Mm-hmm. Um, when she had a therapist who would just sit and listen to her, she always did the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the first step for me. It was like, okay, they immediately did want to put me on medication. Well, Butrin. You know, zoll off the whole the whole gamut, three of them mm-hmm. at a time. Not saying that medication isn't something. I mean, my mom definitely needs medication, and I am on medication. I'm I'm an advocate for the right medications. I guess. Yes. I say that. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, being able to realize, now wait a second, there was a lot of things that my childhood self had not coped with,
0: mm-hmm. had
1: not talked out. Uh, so I found a, a therapist. Uh, she was a childhood post-traumatic stress therapist. Uh, and she did a, um, it's called EDMR, which I know you and I have talked about. EMDR. E- EMDR. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, um, uh-huh. yeah. and it was, it was, I feel like that saved my life. When I look <laughs> back at that, Experience and how that helped me see you know wait a second, i'm putting myself in things that are triggering these memories, mm-hmm. my line of work, situations with family members, whatever it might be, I had to learn how to how to rechange those those memories mm-hmm. and then I went and did a a ton of blood tests. that was the next part because. I also realized that there there were things that I noticed with my mom's diet, things that, I don't know, I just felt like there had to be uh, some other medical, chemical reasons, mm-hmm. and found, found a doctor who would do a huge gamut. I think I, I went and I had 40 vials of blood that he wanted to take, and the, the nurse at the blood, she was like, I can't take this much blood from you, you have to come back tomorrow like they were blown away at how much he wanted, but it truly showed where, what were the things that I did need medication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that began my journey to heal from not the things that were happening in that moment. I think that's what I know now my mom's past. And that's why I say that freedom for her to be able to choose to share and for someone to listen at the very beginning, she didn't have that choice. Someone just took her and said, okay, we're gonna do these things
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, where I I knew enough. I had been given the skills because of my past to be like, wait a second, I have the freedom to be able to choose that I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this first.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, that's huge. I love EMDR and I know you and I have talked. Yeah. I, I mean I'm a huge believer in it. And and I have to say I, I've seen it do amazing things for clients. I refer clients to it all the time. Mm. And you had to be the one to say, I'm willing to do this. Yeah. If that's that's the most important part. And then I agree with you, the diet and all of that is amazing. So what kind of a doctor did you go to for the blood? Um, he was... I'm going to, I am not going to get it right. He did things
1: that were more Eastern influence, but he was like an actual, you know, MD. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was originally a um, athletic doctor, but his father also was a doctor and discovered uh, it's called leptin. It's this level of, of, you know, um, chemical you make Mm -hmm. in your brain, primarily in women. uh, And it actually, shuts itself off during a traumatic event for a lot of women. And so like when I went to him, because part of the therapy was to go see a doctor, I found him again, I think through divine intervention. (laughs) I can't Mm -hmm. explain it any other way um, because I had been to a ton of doctors (laughs) uh, prior. And again, everybody wants to fix. Everybody wants the silver bullet. And as soon as that would present itself. It was almost like the red light would be going off. Like, no, wait a second. This isn't, there isn't a silver bullet Mm -hmm. if you're not, if you're not testing anything. Right. And so, uh, I found him and he did all these tests and discovered that my leptin level was extremely high. So the higher it is, uh, the more your body functions slower. Uh, and so everything from your thyroid to, fertility, all of it. So his dad had discovered this and he did that test and came back and he's like, okay, we need to give you something to bring that leptin level to a lower level, normal level. And so that's the medicine that worked mm-hmm. without without side effects. Mm-hmm. Because I I I'd had tried the welbutrin for a little bit because they were like, you know, try this, see how it goes. And I was Again, just seeing how my mom was guinea-pigged with medicine, and that's the only – I can't describe it any other way other Mm -hmm. than, like, we're going to open a book, and we're going to circle our fingers. Totally. Yeah. And that that has some of this, you know, taken care of. And immediately, I I knew that that wasn't what was needed. It was something else.
0: Yeah. It's so true. It's not like – unfortunately, it's not like – diabetes where you can take a, a blood yeah. sample and know if your insulin's low, you know what I mean? Or no. whatever. No. It's, um, it, it is a trial and error process a lot of times with mm-hmm. psychotropic medications, totally. which totally sucks because people go through all of these medications that don't work. And mm-hmm. even some of them can increase your feelings of suicide. Um, Totally. I mean the Wellbutrin definitely had me having panic
1: attacks in the middle of the night and that was when like after about three weeks of taking it it was just getting worse Mm -hmm. and you know I know for some people it it works Mm -hmm. Um, but I I, I just kept having this drive like there's more and by that point I was in therapy and I was like I feel so good after I've been able to go Mm-hmm. And share these things that, like I said, my, my, the time period that my mom was mentally ill <clears throat> and because my, my dad's parents, <clears throat> they didn't want you to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, like you just didn't talk about someone being mentally ill. Yeah, uh, And so I just didn't, there was a lot of fear there in, in ever sharing any of that story with anyone that you would say would be a close Family member that I know they loved me, but I didn't share my feelings around my mom being in a mental institution or things that I saw when I would go and visit her or when she was well and came to visit, things she would say to me that didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, like she's my mom, I'm supposed to love her, right? And we don't talk about the problem that she has, Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, being able to speak them for the first time ever in my life at 30 some years old, that was extremely empowering and just freeing. I just Mm -hmm. felt like this entire weight was taken off my chest. Yeah. And then having to like my therapist, she, when she told me that one in three children has post-traumatic stress disorder, one, that's just a crazy number. Mm -hmm. And two, it was like, wait, I didn't have any choice in this. Right. So why am I putting all of the guilt mm-hmm. and shame on me? Totally. You know, I didn't, to choo- I didn't get to choose that first half. Yeah. Someone else made those choices. So, right.
0: yeah. And, but understanding that you, you now get to choose, that shift is so amazing. And I think when you realize, too, you, you didn't have a choice, that it allows you to have compassion for yourself to heal. Totally. That past.
1: And more, com- more compassion for my mom. Mm-hmm. I ha- like I said, there, my life has not been without resentment of mm-hmm. who she is and who she was to me. And so as I went through that journey myself, understanding just the compassion that I needed to give her and I wanted to give her, you mm-hmm. know, realizing that there were a lot of things she had no control over what was being done to her. Mm -hmm. and how that, how that exuded then in her relationship with me,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know? Yeah. Oh, so many things I want to say right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's been like one of those things where, like I said, there's so much packed in there, but when all that was happening last week with these suicides and it just, they're tragic and nobody quite knows how to talk about it. You know, it just made me think like, wait a second, there's a perspective not being shared here of when you're in that moment, there's a lot of other thoughts other than, you know, wanting to take your life. There's, if I do this, this is going to happen because of what we've seen has happened, Mm. you know, and so from someone with the perspective of I've witnessed what that system looks like. Um, not just the stereotypical of what that looks like. Those are real fears for me in those moments. And they were determining factors. And this is my option. This is my only choice.
0: Yeah. And I don't think people get that. And, you know, I think there's so many pieces that play into it. And I, mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. People don't know how to talk about it. hmm and a lot of times when they do talk about it, it's in a way that is damaging and it makes people shut their mouths even more. And so understanding that, well, I don't know. I, I just hear.
1: Oh, Everyone go ahead. has their
0: own individual.
1: I feel like, you know, like exactly what you're saying is part of my fear of not talking about it to this point, Sarah, you know, and that I think that was my main thing because I, I really didn't think about what I was posting that night, other than the fact that it was like, I feel like my perspective hasn't ever, I have never read my perspective, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? And I don't know if that was their situations. I mean, I really don't, can't speak for anybody else's other than my own. But in my situation with dealing with those thoughts and going through that, it was that someone was willing to listen, not fix me. Mm-hmm. They were willing to give it's me the rich. control
0: mm-hmm. to make
1: my own choices
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that we as a society really have an illness of not listening
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know we have we have an illness of of not seeing what we don't want to see totally. and then if we see it, then we also feel like we have to fix it ourselves instead of realizing we need to give people the choices to to find the, their own solutions to find how they can free themselves from that
0: um, yeah yeah oh i i totally agree <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I know that this was the area like when we when we met i was just like i felt so connected to you because of you understood from various perspectives this the feelings that I have about mm-hmm. this
0: mm-hmm. yeah we need to be listened to we need to be heard and we need to know well not only do we need to be heard but we need other people need to hear our mm-hmm. story to know that they're not alone like I can't tell you how many stories I've heard throughout the years that are devastating and hard and people are struggling and they think they are the only ones that experience that. And it's like, I promise you, you're not. And it just to take that step to have that courage to take that step to say, this is what I'm experiencing. Then you can truly get support. Yeah. Well,
1: and I think my post like that, that blew me away. I think not that I didn't know that I'm not the only child to have a parent that has mental illness. I mean, I knew that I wasn't the only one, but I, I mostly have seen the perspective of the parent having a mentally ill child and the experience that a parent goes through,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I I have not seen in like our, our media or in things you read or stories about the child's perspective of what that that story is, and on that post, I ended up having... Other people saying to me, I completely understand I'm a child of someone who is mentally ill and I feel like you're telling my story. That, that blew me away, that part. And even before this call, I had someone message me saying, like, I know how hard this is for you to share this and mm. know that I'm with you. And that just, that's a completely different feeling than I think I've ever had.
0: yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fully stepping into your truth, fully yeah. owning it and not allowing it to run you or not living the shame or the guilt or any of those things, but really stepping into the power of your story, your truth, totally. Yeah. And I think that, you know, my mom wasn't bipolar she didn't have necessarily a mental health diagnosis but i spent a lot of my life being resentful as well and i think that it's a lot more socially acceptable for parents to talk about children than it is for children to talk about parents yeah Uh yeah yeah and you know
1: definitely i know that my family they did the best with what they had
0: right you Mm -hmm. know like
1: and that—that that, I think that has been more. When I've thought about how do I advocate for this or how do I talk about this, has been more the resources that just weren't available to any of us. Mm-hmm. I had to get a lawyer at one point to get my mother help because doctors continued to bully me that I didn't love my mom. Why wouldn't I take her in? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, at twenty years old, being told you don't love your mother and I love my mom, but she didn't raise me. So, and I was 20, (laughs) I I lived in an apartment and I was eating like Philly cheesecake sticks for dinner every night. You know, like I didn't have any resources. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, it's definitely for a family member to really want to make sure they have the best care. You have to just fight so hard Mm -hmm. Um, because nobody wants, like I said, there's no fundraisers for, for people, (laughs)
0: you know, right. Yeah. And I think you've entered an important place where it took me a long time to get to understanding that because I talk about these things that were really hard in this relationship doesn't mean that I don't love my mom. And it doesn't mean that i don't think that she did do the best she could with mm-hmm. the what she had, yeah. and it doesn't mean that i don't appreciate everything that she did do. You know what right. I mean, right right I think we feel like if we say "I struggled, it negates all of those other things totally, yeah, I mean at this this stage for my mom, you
1: know that's the one thing I, I know that a lot of states don't have a ton of resources, but As my mom proceeded to have more health issues than mental health issues, uh, she's been in group homes for the past probably almost 10 years since she first left uh, the the last state facility. And uh, it just seemed like every two years she was being moved. Like she couldn't acclimate to a place because Mm -hmm. either they didn't have enough funding or there's Certain roles that only allow her to stay there for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, this last time that she was moved, I had to fight very much so. I mean, my mom is almost, in, I think she's in her like mid 60s now, to make sure she wasn't moved to like an inner city group home. A woman who's lived in a very small little community that she's been able to walk to, you know, the mini market or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were going to move her into like inner cities and i had to fight to be able to keep her in like a small smaller place where she could not get herself in situations that maybe were detrimental to her mm-hmm. you know
0: mhm
1: and so you know now that's been that's been a difficult piece of the puzzle is just seeing like her mental health as well as her physical health deteriorate because there's not much more that's available her and like just to kind of realize that my mom won't necessarily ever really be a part part of our life I have two kids you know and Mm -hmm. my both my kids got to witness her at a young age at a good good period but now now she's definitely not in a place where they can have a relationship with her and so there's a mourning I think that goes along with those things and I definitely you know, can look back and see that with my grandmother kind of mourning who this woman that is her daughter was. Yeah. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of this.
1: For sure. I want to
0: switch gears a little bit because something I know about you and um, I want to make sure that we have time to ask you a few other things, but I could just talk to you about this forever. <laughs> but something I know yeah. about you from getting to know you in St. Louis is that you um, are an advocate for a lot of people. You're an advocate for yourself. You're an advocate for others and the, the resource piece providing women with resources so that they do have power over their own life. They do have the power to make, Choices that are best for them is huge for you, and I just love that. And I know you're involved in a company that well helps women in uh, Africa, Uh, yes, Uganda, Uganda. Yeah,
1: yeah, so that's it's I feel like that was also a part of that journey. So Seiko Designs, they're an ethical fashion company. Uh, They've been around uh, this summer for ten years, which is really exciting. But uh, right towards the time period where I was really, really getting well, I'll say that I had finished my with the therapy and end up, you know, really being in a place where, where I guess I was open. I'll, I'll say that I was open for for something. And Seiko uh, presented itself. They make these really fun strappy sandals that young women, as well as women as seasoned as us, Sarah, (laughs) um, uh, they are given, they're given uh, dignified jobs in a safe place, uh, a fair wage, and they make these products uh, in order to just really give them that dignity and freedom to make some choices for themselves. And, I think that's the one thing, both my grandparents as well, I, I just was really raised with this. You have these two hands and all of us as humans want to be able to create um, mm-hmm. in order to to get somewhere, I feel. Uh, and we want to be able to give that back too. Uh, we want to be able to teach somebody our skill. And so that's what Sega Designs does. We teach Young women who are just coming out of secondary school uh, who have tested into university, they're like the top 5% of East Africa, and they usually would have a nine-month gap to find a job to be able to pay up front for their college education, and um, that just really spoke to me being the first um, young woman in my family to go to college, to have that opportunity, and um, Then they're given this job and paid a fair wage. We match that 200% and that pays for their first full year of college. And so seeing how these young women who are basically told our country isn't going to really notice you, it's a male dominated society. It still has a dictator. There's still child bride rights. So for Mm -hmm. these young women to receive the opportunity to say, okay, we believe in your dream. We see that you're intelligent. We're going to give you a job. We're going to teach you some skills. Uh, We're going to pay you for it too. We're not just going to, you know, have you be fed you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, And then you're going to be able to go into your country and change your country, which is what a lot of these young women go and do. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. This year we'll have 100 young women, hopefully go through our program. Uh, And so that's really, really exciting, and I've been lucky enough the past three years to help develop their uh, Seiko Fellows Program, which is a direct sales program, because uh, that's my, my profession is sales. I've done sales for the past, if I think of the number of years, since I was about 15, mm-hmm. uh, and seeing just how learning that skill really gave me the opportunity to find freedom for myself so helping them develop that program has been really beautiful and amazing
0: mm-hmm. it's So and it's awesome
1: for women here. Like it's doing amazing things for women here as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yes. So you've gone on many adventures. Yes. And- <laughs> yes,
1: which is exciting. I feel like it's so full circle. So kind of. You know, like I said, when I was four, my my dad's parents took me in, uh, and my grandfather, he was an orphan of nine. He was nine kids, and he was an orphan. Uh, He lived in an orphanage until he was 17, from the time he was nine years old. And so he was one of these guys that just kind of like any place he could find something to do, to learn something new. Uh, And so from a very young age, it's actually some of my first clear memories of someone like giving into me like giving to me he would ask me about like what I was interested in and then he would tell me stories about being in Africa as an iron ore miner and teaching the men there how to mine their own land and stories about the orphanage and he lived in Thule, Greenland for a while and you just always find things that he could go and discover something more to do And so I feel like he almost like gifted that spirit to me Uh, and not until Seiko do I feel like it fully got the, the fertilizer and water to, to sprout itself. So yeah, I've been, this year was my second trip to Uganda with Seiko last year. It was really amazing to step onto the continent that my grandfather just talks so beautifully about. Yeah and i did my first solo international trip to amsterdam um which was very for someone with anxiety that's definitely like there was a couple moments of i'm just going to come home honey <laughs> no, you're not you're going to go uh,
0: you know my my
1: best seed um who's she's definitely not the spontaneous one uh we did a in two weeks we planned a trip to italy last year for her 40th birthday which was amazing so Nice. Um, I feel like that being an apprentice of adventure is mm-hmm. kind of my story, even the hard stuff. Like with my mom, I feel like, gosh, what a beautiful adventure she gave me. Like, I look mm-hmm. back at that and think like, thank you because mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what I know. Yeah. It's beautiful.
0: Oh, all right. <laughs> well, I'm going <laughs> to ask you my questions. Okay. Um, <laughs> Okay, so what do you think has been the most vital to your growth?
1: I think uh, discovering, one, being the person who's willing to say, where do you need help? You know, being the person to listen, first and foremost, but then also being the person to ask for help when I need it. I think those, it's kind of like the just both ends of the coin there. I feel like we're not necessarily taught to ask for help. And so when we truly need it or when we truly need to know something, we're kind of told to cope, figure it out. And so I think that has really truly helped me grow in all areas of life, as a mom, as a wife, you know, just as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Being able to accept help. We're totally. Def- yeah. That's what I think that's the opposite side of the coin. Being able to accept the help and then being willing to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel as women that's And uh, I, I don't, I, I'm sure guys probably have a similar feeling because my husband and I have talked about this a couple times, but yeah, just feeling like I can ask for help and then I can choose if I'm
0: going to take the help or not. Mm, yeah like uh-huh. um, I have that choice, so totally. yeah. I love that okay, and what uh what's something that you want to make sure that people know? I think it's
1: important for us to see life as we're being a student of it. I, I like I said, when I look back on a lot of the difficult things that weren't my choice to happen as a young woman or as a little girl. I have the choice to decide, am I going to learn from those adventures that were difficult so that those adventures that I have now in my life can be just so much more full of fulfillment and joy and hope and freedom. Yeah, I think just looking at life as I'm a student of this.
0: Mm -hmm. Always learning. Yes. Awesome. And so tell people I'll have links and things like that in the show notes, uh, but tell people how they can get in touch with you, connect with you, see your Facebook posts that we've been talking about this. whole time.
1: <laughs> so uh, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. It's at I've always been Jenna and it's G E N A <laughs> because, uh, my parents just wanted to be unique. Um, But uh, yeah, I've always been Jenna is where you can find me on social media. Uh, And I do have a Facebook community called the Academy of Adventuring Apprentices. Uh, And it's just kind of a place where we're cultivating right now and sharing things that are daily adventures. I don't think an adventure needs to be that you you know, two weeks and you go to Italy with your best friend. <laughs> I feel like an adventure can be just, you know, today I was trying to get my teenager out of bed <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> for the day. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I think those are the areas right now. And if you want to um, send me like a private email, it's Jenna at com. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much. Thank this you. has been so amazing. And I wanna say again how proud I am of you for speaking out. And I just hope that you continue to share your message, speak your truth, tell your story, because I know that it's gonna impact so many people in such a positive way. So thank you for saying yes and being here today. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, I think, thank you for allowing me to take the first brave step. Right. Now that, my friends, was so very powerful. I just appreciate so much Jenna's ability to have a conversation about the hard stuff and also teach us how to see the light in the difficult. Her story is so relevant for this time and all that's going on in our world. I'm so happy she said yes to being a guest and sharing her goodness with all of us. My favorite quote from the interview is when she said, We have an illness of not listening. We have an illness of not seeing what we don't want to see. I think this is so very true. And we each have the power of making an impact making the quiet heard, and finding our freedom to speak out and to listen. So if you would like to connect more with Jenna, you can find her on Facebook and Instagram. Those links will be in the show notes and on her private Facebook group, the Academy of Adventuring Apprentices. I encourage you to connect with her, get to know her better. She's just absolutely a gift. So remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, grow like crazy, rise above, and always know you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.